Good morning. Hi. <laughs> thanks for waving. That's nice. Anyone else want to wave at me? Just thanks. That's great. It's really lovely to see you. Who's loving the heat? Who's desperate now for a little spot of rain? Anyone? Yeah. Like every night I go, God, just maybe tonight would be great. If it'd be super, wouldn't it? Um, evidently, there's a satellite image that was taken four months ago of the UK where it was green and now it's kind of yellowy brown. So, anyway, I'm not complaining. Anyway, it's, it is great to see you. Um, uh, so we're in this series at the moment of uh, Meal Times with Jesus, and um, I'm talking about uh, this particular um, uh, uh, meal that happens, this occasion that happens. Uh, it's in Luke's uh, Gospel, as we just heard. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you uh, if you'd be happy to. You were just talking to people a minute ago. We're going to bring round a copy of the text that was just read to you, okay? Because I want to um, show you something. This was yesterday, no, Friday. Um, uh, for me, I got a copy of the text. Sorry, I turned it this way. You're all going to have to do this, okay? Uh, I wanted to show you um, uh, like a little bit of the process that I have gone through to, um, to create what I'm going to share with you today. Um, but I also wanted you to have a little look at the text. Because basically, when I um, get hold of a text, my first thing that I'm thinking about is this. What are, my, what are my questions? What am I thinking about the things that I am reading? Okay? So you can see on here, and you're going to get given this sheet uh, in a minute, a blank one. But you can see that I've circled some words, I've written some thoughts down, I've written Dave and Anna on there, because they're getting married on Friday, and that's really exciting. You sound really excited for Dave and Anna. <laughs> and I'm really pleased we announced the time, because I thought it was at 1.30, so that's really good that it, I now realize it's in the morning. Um, um, and there's lots of things that I've written down. So what I want you to do, you guys are going to take those around, if you could do that now. What I'd like you to do is just for, just literally for three minutes, get into huddles. If you don't like the people you're sat next to, find people you do like. If you don't want to join in, that's absolutely fine. What are your things as you read the text that really stand out to you? Just four, and I'm counting down the clock. Okay. So, hopefully, hopefully you've basically just prepared the sermon for yourselves so we can finish quickly. Um, the, the things that I, I circled uh, when I was reading it, so I was... I was really interested he was called Levi. I thought it was interesting that he was a tax collector. Uh, you see those words yet again that Jesus says to follow me, quite simple. What surprised me was his response. Um, he just got up and left everything. I think, crikey. I like the idea that there was a great banquet. And then I'm, 
were the Pharisees at the banquet as well? Like, how did they know who was there? That's interesting. Um, and they use this word sinners. Who are the sinners? And I've not come to call the righteous. Well, what's that all about? Who are the righteous? Does that mean something then that it maybe doesn't mean how we understand it now? And then the bit about can you fast when you're with the bridegroom? Thinking about Dave and Anna. That would be a really awful wedding next week if there was no food. Just saying. Um, And then you've got all this stuff about wineskins and cloth. And it's just, there's a load in there. And I'm sure you've got lots of questions, things that you've noticed. But I'm going to bring out some things that I hope answer some of your questions. But it won't be everything that you've talked about. Because this is about all of us engaged in this, trying to understand this person of Jesus, who um, he is as incarnate God and the way that he behaved to help us understand this whole idea of a meal with uh, Jesus. So here we go, he's Levi and in some of the other gospels um, he's known as Matthew, he's the tax collector. Tax collectors, anyone here a tax collector? Come on, admit it. (laughs) Anyone? No. Anyone here not pay their tax? No, no, no. Uh, (laughs) So Matthew, uh, he's a tax collector, so he's really, really, really unpopular. Tax collectors were supremely unpopular and were perceived in the category of sinner. Okay, so it was a category. It wasn't about they've done these kind of sins. It was a a label that was attached to a group of people. Um, There were two types of uh, tax collectors, evidently. One was called mockies, and and these were people who collected duty on imports, exports, tolls, road tolls, harbour, so if you brought your little boat in, town tax, and a whole load more. Now, there's a thing you need to know about these people, and it was this, that associated with them were ideas of the oppressor, oppression, and injustice. And sometimes tax collectors were called publicans, not like, you know, pub owners. Um, They were called publicans because they performed a public duty. So to the Jews, these tax collectors, and Levi was a Jew, these tax collectors were like the worst of the worst of the worst because they represented the oppressor to them. So in the story we've read, we read that Levi was in his um, booth, his tax booth, which was literally a little custom house that was on uh, a road heading between um, Damascus and Ptolemaeus, okay? Which is near the sea, near the Sea of Galilee. So we would have heard Jesus speak a whole bunch of times. He'd have heard Jesus speak. 
and he'd have come across the disciples as well. Now, Levi, um, I was reading one thing uh, about it. Um, These tax collector people were labeled as uh, licensed robbers. It's the kind of language we still use sometimes, isn't it, about people who, you know, oh, they're taking all my money and, you know, licensed robbers, but also beasts in human form. Beasts in human form. And there was deemed to be absolutely no hope for someone like Levi. According to uh, teaching of rabbis, um, they were excluded from the religious community. So they couldn't, couldn't be amongst us. And it was believed that if you touched them or engaged with them or touched any of the money, then you became defiled. Mm. You became defiled. So a sinner was outcast. Okay? So there's a little bit of background for you. The sinner was the outcast. So let's look at the actual first bit of the story. And I want to, as you'll have seen on my notes, the first thing I did was notice Levi's response um, to Jesus. So he's the hated outsider, and Jesus sees him and says, follow me. And his response is pretty emphatic, isn't it? He just jumps up and goes, yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm in. It says he left everything. Now, these guys who played this role as tax collectors were basically screwing the system the whole time. They were getting more and more and more out of people. So they had loads of cash. He gets up and leaves it all behind. He barely even blinks and he responds to this call of Jesus to follow him, which is incredible. How would you do with that? (laughs) How would I do with that? Leave everything behind. Sure, I'm there. You've got me. Levi barely even blinks. His response is immediate. I was hoping uh, Roddy would be here, but he's not in, is he, this morning? Is he? No. Um, Some of you will know this. What happens in our brains when we constantly experience that we are unacceptable is it becomes habitual thinking. So actually in our brains, if we constantly hear someone call us the outsider, if we constantly hear someone name us as less than, if we constantly hear someone say, you are unacceptable, what actually happens in our brains is 
that becomes a pattern, a habitual pattern of thinking that causes a neural pathway to thicken in our brains. And the thicker that that neural pathway is, the more that uh, is heard, the more habitual it becomes to us. We actually start to think it for ourselves. It's not just an external thing. It's something that we actually own as our own internal story as well. And there are particular points in our lives, particularly when we're teenagers, where it's called Mylene Sheath, and this is going to get Roddy to talk about this because he's a genius at it. Mylene Sheaths form on our neural pathways, and they're basically like insulation, which means that the messages don't have to travel all the way through our neural pathways in our brain. They literally transmit quickly. They jump over the sheaths. They make the electrical impulses move even quicker. So here's the thing. You've constantly been told, you've lived the experience, you are the outsider. You are the outsider. You are unacceptable. You are a thief. You have no place. You are useless. Wish you'd never been born. You are a failure. You are an accident. This is who you are. And you have believed it. And then someone comes along and says, follow me. Follow me. And it flips it all upside down because suddenly you have heard something that is so different to everything that you have ever heard before. Why did he jump up? (laughs) Because suddenly something was so different. Some of us, you are unacceptable is a little message that runs through who we are. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You always were, you are now, and you always will be. You are an accident. You should never have been born. If only others knew what you were really like. And habitual thinking becomes the way that we live So Levi's been in his tax booth because, to be honest, it's a really great place to hide because you can make money while you hide there. And we hide too, don't we? We sit in our booth. We wear our mask. We live with that crushing sense of unacceptability. And we hear it. I hear it. You know you hear it in the phrases and the words that you use and the ones that we don't even speak out loud. Levi hears the words, follow me. And without a blink, without a blink, he says, sure. 
we too can respond in that way. Do you and I live fully as if we are loved like that? There's this amazing um, verse in Romans 12, very familiar, it just says this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. There's a story that is told by um, Father Gregory Boyle of um, a young man who was in, uh, he's incarcerated in America, a very young guy. He was only about 16 years old. And his view of himself was as nothing, a failure, useless, unacceptable. And one day, um, Father uh, Gregory went to visit him. And he was talking to him about his growing up and all the bad stuff that had happened to him. And um, he, Gregory asked uh, the young man, he said, does anyone ever come and visit you? And he said, yeah, every Sunday. And he pointed over at the door and waiting to come and sit with him was his mum. And this young man turned to Gregory Boyle and said, every Sunday, she takes seven buses. Seven buses. She travels all this way every Sunday just to visit me. And what Gregory says is, God takes seven buses and more to call us to follow him. Took this picture the other week. <laughs> it's cute little Ari. And that phrase, behold the one beholding you and smiling. Behold the one beholding you and smiling. Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And Levi, beholding the one, beholding him and smiling, gets up, leaves everything and follows him. And then we get the meal. Levi throws a big old celebration, a banquet. It says, big <laughs> banquet. It's not like, here's my sandwiches. <laughs> and it, it's like a feast. It's a feast. Can you imagine the delight knowing that you are the hated one and suddenly you've got this guy coming for dinner at your house? And who do you invite? You invite all your hated friends as well. You fill the place with all the people that everyone else deems to be outside. So there's a gathering of tax collectors and tax collectors were lumped together with people like prostitutes, thieves. These were how they were seen. So there's a big old gathering, loads of food, probably not vegetarian, and probably not juice. It's like 
massive food. This is a rich guy. And the Pharisees are there. Now, it could be because houses then had a big open courtyard, and it could have been that the Pharisees, being who they were, wanted to check out what was going on at this big meal. But it was probably that they were in on it as well. They, they were there to eat. But they're not happy because eat, Jesus is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. This is awkward. And their response to the celebration is to judge. They used their own lives as a measure to judge how others live theirs. And I find that awkward. Because I wonder how often I do exactly the same. That when I see others, I judge. And I use the measure of my life to do that. So do I, do you, do we do the same? And when we judge others, what we're actually doing is we're excluding them from us. Remember that the uh, Levi, the tax collectors, all those other outsiders, they were the hated ones, which got me thinking, who are the hated ones today? Who are the hated ones in our community today, in our society today? For some of us, we are labor voters. <laughs> don't worry, not, you don't put your hands up. But we can have a particular view of people who vote conservative. Some of us may be conservative voters, but we can have a particular view of people who vote Labour. We may have a view about people who are Brexiteers. Anyone? No, let's not go there. I'll be honest with you, on the way in today on Radio 4, I don't know if anyone heard it, at 10 to 9, uh, I can't remember who it was who was speaking, but it was a, a pro-Brexiteer and I was literally listening, driving in going, oh my goodness, <laughs> giving away my view. Um, and then I thought, Jill, you're speaking about this today, come on, get a grip. You see, sometimes... It might be that we're straight and we don't really want to include gay people and sometimes it might be that we're gay and there are particular straight people who have hated on us and we never want to include them. It might be that we have a view of President Trump, probably. <laughs> who are the hated ones? Because the tax collector back then was the hated one. It might be that the actual excluded people from our lives are the people who have less financially than us. 
or we may have a lot less financially and the people who aren't in our lives are the wealthy. It might be that we are the coolest progressive Christians who love everybody and the people that we struggle with the most may be the conservative evangelicals. Or it may be that we are a conservative evangelical and the people that we struggle with the most are people like me. (laughs) See, if we aren't careful, we create the outcast. And what Jesus did was went and ate with them. We justify our position by their wrongness. We use our lives as a measure about theirs. And yet Jesus doesn't make any statements about the tax collector's practices were absolutely fine. It doesn't do that. What does he do? He has a meal. In Luke 14, um, we see this phrase, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then one of Jesus' followers says, sir, there's still room. And then the master says, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. My house is meant to be full. And we have to be people who grow to be able to respond in the way that Jesus did. Where we transcend that way of thinking which is about them and us, about I'm better than they are, about my way is the only way. We have to transcend that way of thinking and include, and the only way you do that is by saying, I choose to love people because they're people. We need to stop being binary and think in an integral way. How do we transcend all of that? And then how do we include? And the final thing that I noticed in this passage is this the disruption that happens to those Pharisees is incredible. Anyone know what that is? Amethyst, yeah, amethyst. It's absolutely beautiful. I don't know, I I only discovered this this week uh, reading something online, that um, the way they are formed is fascinating. I didn't know this. Probably if I'd have listened more at school, I would have done, but anyway... So in essence, a lot of the, lot of the amethysts that are found today are between 130, 150 million years old. That's very old, older than me even. Um, uh, found in ancient lava fields. So lava flows and it cools. And as it cools, it creates pockets or cavities, okay? And in those pockets and cavities in the rock, it traps gases and water. And that, in time, becomes crystallized. They become crystals. But 
It only becomes amethyst if iron or manganese is present. It will only become what it needs to be if something that is uninvited is allowed in. It will only become that beautiful thing if something that is uninvited is allowed to come in. That is disruption. See, there are two responses. There are two responses every time to disruption, and it's this. We can lean in and learn and reflect and grow, or we can deflect it and ignore it and push it away and even push it onto someone else. This happened because it's their fault. I have this uh, stone on my uh, desk upstairs, and I keep it on my desk uh, to remind me about disruption. Um, it's right in front of me every, every time I'm sat there. Because I always think about when you have a stone in your shoe, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> if you had that in your shoe, it would be particularly uncomfortable. But when you have a stone in your shoe, there's nothing you want more than to like get rid of it. But what if that stone is something that reminds you to think differently? What if that stone is something that reminds you to change your way of thinking? You see, this encounter between Levi, Jesus, and these Pharisees is this massive invitation. This meal is a massive invitation to disruption. See, the Pharisees, they're complainers. They're not so happy. He's eating with the wrong type of people and they should be fasting. And they're angry because they've been adding extra fasting days for their followers, which is why Jesus mentions it, which is all about compliance and control and belief that you, you'll get there if you just keep doing all of these things. And that's the yoke that they have placed on people. And Jesus challenges it all. It's not about fasting, as if that's the route to spiritual renewal. This is about a new way of thinking. You have got to become as new. Something new is happening. You don't ruin the new in order to patch up the old. That's a pointless exercise. You don't put new wine in old wineskins because if you do that, the new wine is still fermenting and if you do that, the old skins are just going to burst. See, we are often fixated on the old way, what has been, how we've always done it, just like those Pharisees. And that little three words at the end, the old is better. Like, how many of us actually carry that? Oh, the old, yeah. It's familiar. And Jesus was pointing people to a new way. And it was summed up with this, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Lean in to the disruption.
Let the presence of the uninvited, those you reject and cast aside, make you more like the one you follow, more beautiful. Include, transcend, transcend in your thinking and include. And remember the amethyst that only becomes what is incredibly beautiful through the presence of something uninvited. Let's pray. Who knew, God, that a meal time with you could be so rich? Help us, God, as we read of these encounters. Help us to go deep. Disrupt us. Be like a stone in our shoe. And God, give us the courage today to move towards the people that we cast out. The ones that we judge. The ones that I judge. And help me, Lord, have the humility. Help us, Lord, to have the humility to be able to eat together. And remember that your call on our lives is this. Follow me. Love God. And love others as you love yourself. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.